Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Pat, and this is our new segment. Here's what I want to say to you. How many conversations have you had or heard me have with with organizations like especially PETA? I mean, you heard me interview their founder. You you hear the interviews we do time and time again. And every time I have one of these conversations, I always say to myself, you can't top this. You can't top that. You know, there can't be anybody doing anything. Anything worse than that. And then I have a conversation now today with Dr. Uh, Catherine Rowe, right? Uh, Why? Because Chief Scientist Laboratory Investigations Department, PETA, Harvard Medical School under fire, newborn monkeys stolen from their mothers and blinded. What the bleep is going on? I don't even understand how Harvard thinks they're going to hide under a microscope, but don't let me answer it. Dr. Catherine, welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me, Dr. Pat. I think I think you've outlined the the reason for outrage quite clearly. It, it, it's hard to top the cruelty of what we've found out is happening at Harvard Medical School as you said, newborn baby monkeys, just born baby monkeys are being stolen from their mothers at birth just so they can be put mm. in the cage alone mm. and have experimenters deliberately interfere with their visual development by doing things like sewing their eyes shut for an entire year or forcing them to wear vision distorting goggles for a year or more or or having experimenters wear welding masks when they feed the monkeys so that the monkeys never see a face. I mean, this is this is this is stuff from the 1950s or 60s. And the fact that it's happening now at Harvard is is almost too much. I mean, it really it's is too it's, much. It's, it's, it's really impossible to believe. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I got this and, and I, for it. I, I got this and I said to Linda, are you sure this is right? I went back there and I said, go back and check with the headline, right? And she said, yes, that's right. Now, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the call to action. 400 scientists, academics, lawyers. How outraged are people? And what are you all doing to make sure this thing does not get stuffed under some pillow? Yeah. People are outraged. And I think it's because we know that taking babies away from their mothers, whether they're monkeys or humans, causes psychopathology you know you're you know from from your schooling from harry harlow that taking infants away from their mothers causes them to rock endlessly pull their own hair out bite themselves 
Harvard is not only doing that, but they are now blinding these monkeys or interfering yeah. with their natural visual development for up to a year. I mean, uh, even Dr. Jane Goodall has written in about these experiments. Yeah. So what Pete is doing in part is making sure that everybody is aware because we need to keep the pressure on Harvard and on the National Institutes of Health who are funding this and let them know that this isn't science. This isn't this is this is unacceptable to the public. This is unacceptable to not just animal advocacy groups, but other scientists have spoken out and said this is beyond yeah. the pale. We cannot allow this to continue. And what we're asking the public to do is also reach out to Harvard. And we have mm-hmm. a few really simple things that people can do to make their voices heard and say, Good. not with my money. I mean, these, this is millions of taxpayer dollars paying yeah. basically to blind baby monkeys. Yeah. Can you I mean, tell people crazy. what they can do? Get that, Let's get people connected here. You and I can keep talking, but I, I don't want to wait to the end. I want I want people to know how they can do something about this, right? Your organization's covering it. Is that a place they can go? Yes, I mean, that is the, the best place to go to learn more about mm-hmm. the experiments and to take action. So one website they can go to is PETA.org yep. slash Harvard. So that's P-E-T-A dot O-R-G slash Harvard. And you can read more about the experiments, but right there on that website, you can also take action and just very quickly mm-hmm. send an email to Harvard that says, please stop this. Please stop this now. People can also text the word baby. So you can text the letters B-A-B-Y to the number 73822. And that will also send a message to Harvard saying, please add this. Again, Harvard's gotten uh, more than $30 million over the past 20 some odd years for these sorts of experiments. So they're Mm -hmm. reluctant, even though they've heard from, from many people they're getting a lot of money. So we need to counteract that by putting the public pressure on them and saying, mm-hmm. this is just unacceptable. It's can, unacceptable. Can I ask you a question? Like, what's their response? That's what I'm not. I'm like, like all this outrage. And this isn't the first time for this, but this is horrific here. Right. This is horrific. Yeah. You know, pe- people get upset when we we take our animal friends and we kill them for experimentation. This is a form of torture. I mean, this is this is beyond even ridiculous. I'm, I'm not kidding. This is like a horror movie kind of thing. But what's their response, doctor? What I mean, g- give me something that they've said, like, oh, yeah, we'll look into it or like, just go away. They have they haven't given me any kind of response at all. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. basically been ignoring anybody who's contacted them. I would like to hope that something's going on behind the scenes. But the reality is, again, they're getting millions of taxpayer dollars to keep these experiments going. And their argument would be, if they bother to give it, well, we're going to learn something about how, you know, not having normal visual input can can negatively affect the brain. But we've known that for, again, 60 years. You know, these are the sort of experiments that were going on back in the 60s. There's absolutely no reason for us to be doing this still today, especially with all of the new modern cutting edge research tools that we have to study the human brain. So Mm. this is basically just some some archaic methods out of the dark ages that Harvard is allowing to continue because they're getting money 
to allow yeah. it to continue. And let's I mean, talk about really these it. alternatives for a minute, because we, we, we're seeing so many breakthroughs on so many things. I mean, I am just blown away by some of the innovation. And some of it, I think, is coming out of Harvard, maybe MIT, but especially nanotechnology to be able to study and detect and record. I mean, it's crazy stuff. I mean, are they saying uh, this is the only way? I mean, what happens to all the advances we have made? Well, apparently the experimenters in this lab are ignoring all of the advances mm. they've made because, as you said, that the, the technology that's available now is is amazing, yeah. and a lot of other scientists are using that technology to study how the brain develops, how different visual experiences impact visual development. You do not need to sew the eyes of baby monkeys shut for a year to mm. see what happens when a developing brain doesn't get visual input. Yeah. The, the problem is, again, that, that the experimenters who are doing this have been using these same methods for 50 years. That's what they know how to do. Yeah. What Harvard it, should be doing is telling them, get with the program, wake up, do cutting edge research. But instead, they're just allowing them to continue these torturous experiments. And so help me, they're getting worse. Yeah, you know, like it I sounds like, like it. What yeah. he's doing to these monkeys over and over uh, again, like, let me find a new way to, mm -hmm. to interfere with these poor babies' mm -hmm. development. I mean, let me see how long they'll let me keep mm -hmm. these monkeys in the dark before mm -hmm. I drill holes into their skulls and then, and insert electrodes into their brains. I mean, it's it really is torture. I mean, this it, is it's the crazy. thing that would be defined as torture if you did it to a human being. Absolutely. And I want to ask you a question because, you know, you come with, lots of credentials, but one part of the, your credentials has to do with being NIH neuroscientist, chief scientist, right? You know, you come from NIH, you, you have a background in this. So you're not just coming as an investigator in Peter, but you're bringing experience, you're bringing knowledge, you're bringing credentials to this conversation. And given who you are, I can only imagine how horrified you are of this because you've seen this before, but I don't think you or I ever expected that we would find out about a university like Harvard being so ignorant about this, right? Exactly. No, that's exactly right. You know, when I learned that this was happening currently today mm -hmm. in 2023 at Harvard, I, I almost... Like I, I kept rereading re and rereading the material saying that they can't possibly still be it's doing the same this. thing. And it's not just us, you know, like I said, the, the, you know, Jane Goodall and, and several other primatologists mm -hmm. and hundreds of other scientists who may not themselves be against animal experimentation per se, but read about this and said, absolutely not. Like this cannot be allowed. And it shouldn't be allowed. And mm. yet Harvard is just reaping in the money and torturing monkeys. Mm. Not going to help humans with this sort of experimentation. We are absolutely not going to help humans. All that this is is a waste of mm. taxpayer dollars and a lot of extraordinarily traumatized monkeys. That's all that's, that's coming from this. I know this is a short interview, but I want to tell you this, and I don't want to hear your personal message on the website. You know what it leads me to believe? And, and maybe... I don't want to think the worst, but what it does lead me to believe it is if, it, if a universe, if Harvard is doing this, right, and they're doing it out in the public, 
How about all of the other universities that are not Harvard, that are not under the public eye, right? Because we're talking about Harvard because they're Harvard. But how about the hundreds and hundreds of other universities that nobody will ever catch up with that are doing things like this? See, that's that's where my brain goes. And maybe I'm a little cynical about this, but it's just shocking, isn't it? It really is shocking what people are allowed to do to animals Mm -hmm. in the name of science. And I agree with you that the fact that that what is a leading institution or supposed to be a leading institution academically, scientifically, is using these completely outdated and cruel experiments Mm. on monkeys, baby monkeys, does not paint a very good picture of what is happening all over. Though I do think because this experimenter is at Harvard, you might be getting away with more than you would at at a smaller university, right? Like. Yeah, because it's Harvard, they'll let them get away with it. Um, yeah. Because, but again, uh, it that's part of the reason why we bring this information to the mm-hmm. public. Because I think a lot of people who are working with animals, experimenting on animals, don't want the public to know what actually happens behind those doors. Yeah. No. Because once the public does know, they're going to speak out. And these experiments are, you know, as you said, these are beyond the imagination. Yeah, they're beyond. They really are. I want to thank you. I know this is a short interview. I want to thank you for the extra time. Please, last uh, personal message. What do you want to leave us with? And please give us that website again. And thank you for all that you're doing. Yes, no, absolutely. Please, please help us again. It is the public speaking out that is what we need to have happen in order to get Harvard to agree to end these experiments. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is to text the word baby. B-A-B-Y to the number 73822, or you can go to PETA.org slash Harvard. And I really appreciate everybody's help because it it takes a village, and that's what we need right now. We need to tell Harvard this is unacceptable and needs to stop and stop wasting money on on this sort of cruelty. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, everybody, let's take a short break, please. Please, if you do nothing else, please look into this and pass it on. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. You know, you all have heard me talk about what it's like growing in New York City, going up there. Uh, Some of the neighborhoods I've been in, neighborhoods my sisters grew up in, you know, some people, you know, grow up in cities and they see things that happen. But a lot of times it doesn't happen to them. But what if I told you that there could be some horrific things that happen and happen to people in the strangest of times, but then you hear the miracle. Then you hear the story. If you're lucky enough to have somebody like Amy Joy Hess write about it. But there are many stories like this. Gunshot witnessed the Tim Remington story. This is a work of art that Amy has done to take us on a journey. Can you imagine being in your home and hearing gunshots? Can you imagine thinking, 
it's got to be somebody else. Can't be anybody in my family. Can't be anyone we know. But then what? Have you heard about stories where people go through things like this and they don't make it? That's not this story. Amy, it's great to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Pat. It's lovely to be here. Um, I want to talk about you for a minute before we talk about what you've done. Okay. I think that what happens, like you and I are here because we've been touched in our hearts. Yeah. We've been given a gift. Yeah. And this is why we're here. But I want to know for you, there was something compelling about this story, something compelling, something that literally would not let you alone. What was that? You just don't find a story like this very often. I mean, it, the, the number of wounds that Tim received during the shooting, he was shot six times with 45 hollow point bullets. And that's, you don't survive that. I, I recently talked to a special forces man who had retired, retired out of special forces. And he said, you know, there are people who get shot who survive. He said, but you don't get shot six times with 45 caliber bullets and survive. That's, that's remarkable. And if they got shot with 45 caliber hollow point bullets, he says, that's a miracle. Yeah. And so the story, as far as I'm concerned, is a miracle that Tim is alive. And it's a miracle. It's a story of hope. The whole thing is a, a magnificent story of hope. And that's what I want to tell people, because this is a time when people really, really need hope. They need to know that they're not alone and that there's, yeah. there's help out there. I am so glad that we're talking about this, you know, because I have so many conversations with people about hope. And people have different perspectives on it, but I am one that I grew up with, you know, that fueled faith-based hope. I grew up with a very optimistic mom from the deep South. And I know I don't sound like that, but for sure. And, you know, when, you, when you're with someone every day that is not giving up on life, that has no education, first child at 12, second at 13, and this is the, you know, the woman that marries my dad, and off we go and you watch her and it's all about hope and it's all about faith and it's all about the belief that you can and you can believe in miracles. What is it about this story that drives that point home that helps people from your lips, from your voice to their ears, to their heart, stay in the zone of hope, not give up? What do you want to say? And especially through Tim's story. Right, well, Tim, one of my questions was, why this pastor? You know, what about this pastor is so important? And so I started talking to all the different people in his church, and we find, like, Adela is his church secretary, right? And she is just the most bright-eyed, beautiful woman. I just love Adela to death. And you wouldn't know that the day that she met Tim, she had just gotten into a knockdown drag out with her brother because she was coming down off of meth and she didn't have money to buy drugs and they were going to send her to jail. And Tim came and, and 
very gently and kindly led the skinny, scabby, um, you know, meth heads, you know how they are. They lose all their weight. And he kindly, lovingly took her and helped her get into their drug rehab program. And today, Adela is just wonderful. You would never in a million years know that she had been a drug addict, a very, very serious drug addict from early, you know, from childhood. And so, um, but that's the story. That's who Tim is. And yeah. so you have this man who thousands of people, he's, he doesn't want to have church inside the walls. His whole goal in his life was that if he was going to follow God, he was going to do it for real. It wasn't just going to be a nice place where you drink coffee. And so he, since he, since he gave his life to the Lord, when he was a you know, 19 years old, he has been out helping the homeless and going out where the people are into their homes where they are and, and helping people. And that's the goal of his life. Yeah. And so that to me is it's not just that he got shot terribly and he survived, but all the people in his life that he's helped. I mean, that is really the underpinning of what we're talking about today, because I mean, there's so many words. Now, look, you're you're an author, you're a researcher, you're a chemist, you know, you're somebody you ghost you ghostwriter for other people, but you have always been touched by the sciences and the wonder and faith and God. You have always been doing this and you've come out. And what you've done is you presented this beautiful, beautiful tapestry. See, that's what the story is. It's a beautiful tapestry. And the reason I say that is because you have to wait to see what's going to be woven here, what's going to happen here. And yet, at the same time, there's a powerful message in this for our day and our time. There's a powerful message. There's being surrounded with things that just simply work. I mean, how many surgeries has Tim has? I, I, I've lost count, but, you know, after the original shooting, um, he, it was touch and go for a week. But then after that, they're like, oh, good. He can be out of the ICU. And then they found out that he had a perforated colon, like his colon had been bruised, but then it just, it broke through. So they had to have surgery for that. He had to have surgeries to reconstruct um, his arm. His arm was obliterated. And the doctor, Dr. Jonathan Linthicum, did a very, very wonderful job of putting his arm back together so that he has both of his arms because he could have lost his right arm. Um, he had to have the bullet removed from his head and the bullet that went through his head stopped right at the soft tissue. And I think that's one of the miracles that's in the book is that it went through the bone, but it stopped right at the outer layer of his meninges, which is the outer membrane of your brain. Um, so I, he had a lot of surgeries, I, I lost count. Yeah. But when you talk about my, you know, you talked about your mom, my mom um, didn't learn how to read until the sixth grade and she, right. dropped out of, she dropped out of school and she had eight kids by a number two out of um, four different marriages. She lost a couple of husbands. She's um, one of the bravest people I know, but she's a person who showed me that when she trusted God, he took care of you. So I took care of her. And when she would walk the other way, bad things would happen in our lives. So she's the one, she's the <laughs> one who really showed me God's mercy all the time throughout my life. And I knew that if if God could love and forgive my mom and do wonderful miracles in her life, then she could do them in anybody. And um, so my mom was a big inspiration for me too. Mm. You know, I want to talk about how this changed you for a minute. And 
the reason I say that is because when you have, when you put something like this together, which involves a personal interaction, it's not like you're just writing some fantasy, right? Right, right. How has knowing Tim changed you? I'll tell you what, I love going over to his house. Um, I've gone and talked to him a number of times. He's bought me you know, salads while he drank his chocolate shakes and we talked. <laughs> but I would go over to his house and I just don't want to leave. It's one of those homes yeah. where it's just comfortable. It's comfortable. It's peaceful. And I just love going over there. I love being his friend. And every time I go to talk to him, he's really a goofball. He's not, he's not a very suit and tie kind of guy, you know. Um, but every time I go and talk to him, we just giggle. We laugh all the time. We have a wonderful time. He's a he's a delightful human being. And I this this whole project, this whole adventure has allowed me to get to know him. And yeah. that that really is a joy for me. You know, the and book, his wife. His and wife his wife. I saw the video of his wife there too. Mm-hmm. But what I love about what you've done is you're weaving different things in here. You know, when we start to talk with someone and learn about them, we learn about their sphere of influence, too. We learn about the people in the church. Some of the people that he helped save themselves, right? You know, so it wasn't just a conversation for you, I don't believe. And hey, let me get to know you, Tim. The depth of what you found and even the chapter with Kyle, I mean, there's just so much. How did you walk the path and know how to weave these stories together well i'm i love knowing things so i'm a (laughs) some people some people are horse whisperers and i'm not a horse whisperer and i can't draw anything i'm a terrible artist (laughs) but i love knowledge so for me going and finding out things is always just a fun it's an adventure so to me it was uh, i feel like the book almost wrote itself because of these wonderful yeah. people who i got to meet john padula oh my goodness john padula's story is so fantastic and i love that man so like he's such a wonderful human being and i love to be able to talk to him and and he's genuine he's a genuine person you know and he's sitting there telling about how uh chris anderson prayed for him and for the first time he saw that the sky was blue and he had never seen that the sky was blue and he'd never noticed that the trees were green and this this fellow who you know used to sit in the back of the church with his hood over his head sitting there waiting you know for this girl that's why he started coming (laughs) to church and now he's this pillar he's this this person who just gives strength to everybody around him it's wonderful um i don't know if i answered your question yeah you did fun thing for me to be able to meet everybody but it it does and I want to I want to piggyback off of that because see I think these are the stories I grew I I grew up with stories and my mom was really a maverick when it came to her perspective on Christianity Um, Uh and I mean a maverick in a good way now if she were alive today she would not be a maverick Oh, because well, right because what we're hearing now is we're hearing we're hearing different stories that appeal to christians and non-christians right right it's true I mean, it's across the board we're just it because it's the message isn't it yes no it is it's a message that there's so many people who are just filled with guilt and who live their whole lives feeling like they are not good enough and that God could not possibly love them. 
And one of the stories, one of the, the whole points of the story is how much God really does care about people. And I think that's where our hope is. If God didn't care about us, what in the world would we be able to do? Um, and the, his his power is available to everybody, even Adela, scabby, you know, skinny Adela with her teeth all out. You know, right. God has turned. He loved her. He loved her. And I feel like God just put his arm around Tim and said, oh, you want to partner with me and loving people? OK, let's do that. Let's check out this girl over here. Let's go help her. And that that I think is what everybody wants to know. They want to mm -hmm. know that God loves them and that they are important and he doesn't hate them. He wants to be there for them. Yeah. And, and um, my husband died. I know this is on the side, but my husband died yeah. when I was 34. Mm. And one of the last things we, uh, we had a fight right before he died and I was petulant and I was a brat. And I said, you don't love me. And after he died a couple of days later, I was like, oh, I want to tell him, I know you love me. Because it was important for my husband yeah. that I knew he loved me. And I feel like God feels like that. That if that God loves us so much and it's an honor to him when we believe him that he loves us. Yeah. You know, my best friend said to me, um, I don't know if it was a couple of weeks ago, we're doing a lot with the network. We're grow we're gonna pretty soon the network will be 10 times because of the way we're designing technology. I mean, this is a 12-year vision that's coming to life, but I will say this, that I'm not doing this without guidance. Uh -huh. I, you can't. And right. when I had doubt and was going to walk away, I got physically ill. But my friend said to me the other day, reminded me, how did she put it? She said, you know, we have not come this far not to finish. Okay. We have not come this far to fail. God is not a jokester. No. God is not me. No. God no. doesn't give you everything for 20 years so you can, she's from Jersey, so I'm doing a little Jersey right now. Uh, so you can fall on your face. That's right. That's not no, the that's God true. I know, but that's your message. You see right. that God, that's not the God in this book. The God who would play around with your feelings. Yeah, no, no. And that's what I love about this, because you are opening a door of universal language of love. Right. It's true. We need it. Amy, we need it. People are desperate, desperate to be loved and to love other people. It's a wonderful thing to be able to love and be loved. Um. That's, I just want to reach out to all those people out there who just have no sense of their own value. But I think that's what you're doing in here. And I can't yeah. wait for the book to be made into a movie. I hope somebody's, oh, I hope somebody's thinking about that. Yes. But I want to yes. ask you, uh, do you have a favorite story? Do I have a favorite you have story? Something, <laughs> yeah. Every time I read a book like this and, I, and I'll go through it, there will be something that'll hit me on Tuesday. But then when I look at it again today on Thursday, it's a different story because we're always changing. But I they're all memorable. I think I don't even know because I love them all so much. Probably yeah. John Padula's because I love yeah. John so much. And his change was just so extreme, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, but yeah, I love John. So oh, I love them all. 
Yeah. It really is a good one. Sorry that I don't have a favorite. No, that's okay. I knew I was going to put you on the spot with that. I don't think I have one either. Okay. I want to get to this thing. This is the message that I've, I've been talking a lot about this on air. We have to remember that this is not a life of one chance only. Right. We get second chances. You make that clear here for a lot of people, a lot of reasons. And while I think hope is quite the conversation, boy, we need to help people say, don't give up. Right. You're not ruined for life. You will get right. Can we talk to that? Let me tell you why I work with um, women in addiction and recovery. I've been doing it for a really long time. Uh, It's part of my family's journey, history. My mom committed, my birth mom committed suicide, drugs, alcohol, right? Um, So I, I work, I give back. And the one thing that is hard for folks to imagine when they go into recovery is that they're being given a second chance without conditions. Can you talk to that, please? No, that goes back to my mom. If you could have known, my mom didn't do drugs and alcohol, but my mom made really bad decisions over and over again. And I don't want to put my, I love my mom so much. My mom is a wonderful human being. I do too, yeah. You know, she's she's a delightful human being, but she's the one who taught me that if I am asking God for anything, I'm not asking it because of how good I am. I am asking it because of how good God is. Mm-hmm. And um, in Proverbs, it says a righteous man falls 10 times and gets back up. Um, and Jesus told Peter, don't forgive people just seven times, forgive them 70 times, seven times. So the the real hope is that, you know, we can make mistakes and we're going to be able to be forgiven. Don't give up. What if God really just wants you to come back and ask for forgiveness so that he can forgive you? so that he, you can be with him because that's the whole point. That's what he's always wanted all along. And if he knows how many hairs are on our heads, that means he's playing, paying really, really close attention to us. And he is so big that, that our little piddly problems are important to him too. Yeah, That's how big he is. Well, you're talking about relieving the burden of guilt and shame. See, mm-hmm. that's what you're talking about right there is yeah. instantaneously relieving the burden of guilt and shame. That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's what it is. And, you know, that's why I bring it up because there's just so much right now that people are looking at themselves. If I'd have only done this, I could have been better. If I'd have done this, I would have, there's so much of that going on. Second guessing. Go. Us. Yeah. Exactly. I want to ask just you, on. you got to move on. Mm-hmm. If you were talking to a group of teenagers if you were doing a book tour and were uh-huh. in front of a group of teenagers, tell me what you'd say to them. I would say, hey, you guys are, we need you. You guys are not just the people to be taught to. You guys can learn all the, the things out there to learn and you can go out there and be blessings to other people. You have energy. I'm getting older and older and I'm getting <laughs> tired, but you guys have energy. And God can use you. God told Timothy, you know, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Um, we need you guys. And I'm so glad you're here. And let's go find out what your gifts are. Mm. You know, that's what I tell them. 
Now, how do people get the book? How do they find out more about you, Amy? Let's just give people some information here. I want to make sure they know how to get the book. They're going to have to read this themselves to really get the depth of what we're talking about. What is the best way for people to do that? Right now, uh, it just go to gunshotwitness.com. Gunshotwitness.com currently redirects to my Amazon page. I'm trying to get um all the different versions right now we just have the ebook up there i've been working to get the paperback hardback and an audiobook version up there as soon as possible um but they can just go to gunshotwitness.com and uh, download the ebook and then you can decide how many copies you want to buy for other people also yeah. though doctor that um all the proceeds anything above our costs are going to tim's uh good samaritan rehabilitation program so that, that, I mean, I, that's the really the point is to be able to put all this money back so that people who are low on funds can still get into the drug rehab program that they have. Thank you. Now, I have this last bit I want to talk to you about because this is part of my journey. It sounds like it's part of yours. There, there are a couple of excerpts, but I think it's the, I think it's especially Adela. I think it's especially related to this. And I want to talk to you about this because this is a misconception. People assume that. God always in control, always predicts, always right. And so this is a thing that we get a little bit hung up on because when things don't happen the way that we think they should happen, we think there's something wrong. I look back at my life now and I can see every dot that got me to here came right after something pretty devastating but without that event i wouldn't have gotten here do you get what i'm saying absolutely okay absolutely. yeah well remember my husband died when i was 34 yeah uh, left me with three little kids to raise but because i mean that i never felt like god had abandoned me and dropped me i really liked his presence was very strong i really felt like he had it all in his hands um, but that actually, one of the things it allowed me to do was to go back to school. I went back to college, and when I was there, I met all these professors, became really, really good friends with these professors. And one of the things that God showed me completely surprised me, I wasn't expecting it, was that he cared about them too. And I wouldn't be planning on having conversations with my cell biology professor, but we would open up these conversations and then we, and that he and I are actually still in contact. Mm -hmm. My geology professor and I are still in contact, but God showed me that they were really important. And so I actually have a, a series called science and wonders, science and wonders that you can also find on Amazon by Amy joy. Um, that starts to tell that story mm -hmm. because it was so interesting to me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that, that God can take the terrible things in our lives. Oh, I don't I don't think God causes the terrible things in our lives. No, I think what happens is he can take even the terrible things in our lives yeah. and make them for good when we trust him. Yeah. You know, my mama used to say something with her little southern draw voice. She used to say to us three girls, girls, I got to tell you something. You got to get off your butts. You got to get off it because faith without works is dead. Well, and that's that, true. And she would come out there. Uh, trust me, it took me 40 years to figure out what she meant. But what we're saying is, and what you just said, and what's clear in the book, we all have a part to play. We have a part to play in our healing. We have a part to play in our spiritual practices. We have a part to play in service of others. I have a part to play 
in what I can give back to people, we have a part to play. But also, we have been given the ability to rise up under the worst circumstances. We are built to last. Isn't that well, also part of the story? That's one, that's one of the things that it really struck me was the fellow who bought their first drug rehab program, uh, the house. They have houses. Yeah. They're right. not just, they have houses that they live in. Um, the Doug Kettle who bought it for the drug, for the Good Samaritan rehabilitation, he bought it with cash um, because his drilling company had done really well because Tim had gone out of his way to go get Doug and get him into a rehab program because Doug was an alcoholic on the verge yeah. of dying of liver failure. And so because Tim reached out, um, he wouldn't give up on somebody and he was there for somebody. It all went full circle. And then Doug was the one who was able to buy that first house. Um, that's not what Tim's point was. That wasn't his purpose, but it was just really interesting to me that because Tim didn't stay safe behind his desk, because he went out there actually yeah. reaching out to people that that begat more good. Yeah. So love begets love. Goodness begets goodness, you know? And I want to talk to you about this. This is the last thing I want to talk to you about here. I know this is a short, a short interview, but I want to ask you, you know, it, take me, it took me a long time to really believe the power of love. It really did. Um, you knew a little bit more about my upbringing. You would understand a little bit more, but I got it. I got pieces of it along the way. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I got the notion of this. You see, I have now come to believe that if we, allow for love to lead miracles will happen every minute of every day that's my belief people say i'm a little bit optimistic but there's a feeling that comes from this and see that's what i get from the book it's not just a bunch of words but there's this feeling when you read the book not just tim but other people there's this feeling how you can manifest and turn something like hope and love into something in the real world that counts. See, that's what your book tells us, right? I don't, I, you, I don't know how that works. You're more experienced in all of that than I am. What I, what I know is that um, I have this idea that we are not just pawns. <laughs> that we really are. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that we are really that we have a lot of of power. Yeah. That what we do matters. People always think that God's will is always done, and I don't think God's will is always done because God does not want any little girl to be molested. No, He does not want He does not want little boys embarrassed and shamed. You know, He cares about us, right? So God's will all the time is not being done. He asks us, please love one another. You know, that's what he asks us to do. But when we do, um, it, it's not for nothing that everything that we do really can have a magnificent impact. One time, I know this is very silly. I actually got a wave going at the Kingdom in Seattle because you know, <laughs> it destroyed. And, and it was a Mariners game and nobody went to Mariners game. No, I know. <laughs> and even though I was always a Mariners fan. I'm from Seattle. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. Um, but I got a wave going. Me, I made those people across the whole stadium stand up in a half full stadium 
And I went, you know what? I did that. I can do that. That what I do could touch somebody I've never even met. Yeah. And every single person out there, all of us have that, that capacity yeah. to touch people we've never even met. Look, I'm 100% with you. And when we have more time, we can really get into it. I mean, I'm a kid that grew up stuttering, learning different, right? And what right. I learned from stuttering is I learned how to listen, but I also learned the art of questioning and asking mm -hmm. questions. I wouldn't have gotten that if I didn't have a situation that allowed me to really stop and look and think, because you know that people don't wait. Like if you have you ever tried to ask somebody like me that stutters, hey, Pat, what do you want for dinner? And then I'm trying to tell you and you're not going to wait. And you say, well, well, how about pizza? And, and I'm still trying to answer the first question. And, and then when the pizza thing doesn't happen, well, OK, maybe not pizza, maybe you right? Because we're too impatient. But when you're on the receiving end of that, you've now just learned the art of multiple question asking. If you ever hear my shows, my first two minutes is all about asking questions to the audience. That's not mean God, that's God preparing me for something that was going to happen way later in life. Right, right. That's that's no, that's wonderful. There's a there's a missionary named Amy Carmichael who went into India and rescued all these little girls who are being sold as sex slaves. Um, and this is a hundred years ago. Amy Carmichael, but she had brown eyes. She hated having brown eyes. She wanted beautiful blue eyes like her mother. And she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and God never gave her blue eyes. She had brown eyes, but when she went to India because she had brown eyes. She was able to dress up, talk, speak like an Indian and go and rescue these girls. Wow. And if she'd had blue eyes, no way. she would have just, yeah. No way, it wasn't um, gonna happen. So. Right. Amy, no, sorry, go ahead. I, I can't thank you enough. I mean, this is a book that people really need to really, not just read, but really think about. You know, and I say this and I love, this is, look, Christian, non-Christian, this is a universal message here. This is a it's universal a, a, message. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it gives hope to everybody. It's got to give hope to everybody because we're being very categorically judgmental about where we think hope comes from. And I hope we can tear the doors down and allow for what has always been around us and within us. Thank you so much for doing this. Last question. What's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with coming from Amy's lips to our hearts? <laughs> My personal message. Oh, goodness. My personal message is that I would love to meet all of you. I, I have this. I would love to meet all the people out there and just grab them by the face and tell them you are precious. You are beloved. You are the treasure of the universe. I think I think that's why everybody should know. Oh, Amy. And again, where do we get the book? Uh, Gunshotwitness.com. Um that's that's the best place to go right now. Thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for taking forward a story that reaches far beyond the covers of a book. And it really does touch a heart. And that heart is the generator of many, many miracles if we allow it. Thank you so much for all of this. Thank you, Dr. Pat. I really appreciate it. All right. And for those okay. of you out there, this is a look. Don't throw in the towel. Please don't. Don't give up. Be inspired. Take a read of this book. And once you do, you will find somewhere within yourself, you're going to find that spark 
you're going to know that whatever that thing is, you don't think you can do whatever that part of your body is, you don't think you can heal, whatever that anger you may have had for whatever you believe in about God and the universe, you may hear and find a spark. Amy says it best. Tim says it better. Don't give up oh, the ship. You. We'll see you next time. Tim said it better, that. Amy. That's <laughs> real. It's All right. Thank you so much for everything. We'll do some editing on this and we'll get it rolling. I appreciate it so much. I hope it, I hope that was good. Well, you I, notice I don't ask the questions they send me, right? No, I'm glad well, you got to read the book. If you read the book, you get other questions. <laughs> no, that's great. No, I actually, I, they, you know, my publicist said, hey, do you like these questions? So I was like, okay, those are fine yes. questions. I actually have no clue what I wanted people to ask. So that's wonderful. That's fine. For me. Yeah, no, I mean, once you start to read this a little bit, there's a balance for me. I ask open-ended questions because I don't want to give away too much. But I right. want to be, I want there to be enough to inspire people to take the next step to find out more. Right. Good job, um, Amy. Thank you. No, no, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. And um, I don't even know what I was going to say, but I'm really, really glad that you read it or that you're excited about it. That's I wonderful. I got to go back and do it again, though. Um, it's the kind of thing that it just makes you cry. It does. I actually was rereading it just to edit it. And every time I go through to read it, just to edit it, I start crying. And I, I was trying not to cry. Thing. The whole Adela thing. I was just trying not to cry here. I'm so glad we didn't talk about that story. <laughs> Holy oh, no, crap. I'm going to be Adela. like, I'm going to be like, you know, I was molested in Catholic boarding school. I'm so sorry. As a, as so a six-year-old. Yeah. I was beat every night with an iron brush. In mm, Catholic every boarding night? School. Every night, because I was different. I was, um, you know, now we have language for people like me where you're learning right. different. You know, when I had a little brain um, thing that went on, I passed out and I went through all these neurological tests. And it took about a year, right? They said that I actually was out. Like when they said out, I thought I was out, but I found out from Dr. Racist later, the neuro guy that no, you were out, like you were gone. But he said, you know, I said, how am I doing? He says, you know, all the tests are pretty good. He says, but you know, we found some things. I said, okay. We think you're, you're on the spectrum. Like uh, the autism, autism spectrum? Now this is out of my mouth and believe me, I'm older. Right. I, this was like after the doctorate, even. Right. This is me. Now you ready? Yeah. I said, oh, that is so great. I love the spectrum. I love the colors. I thought he was talking about the color spectrum. I, I love the colors. You know, I, I lean towards purple pretty much, you know, but I learn about colors. I wanted to be an artist and I understand the contrast. And, and he just looked at me and I said, so is, do I have a color? And he just smiled. And he said, you know what? Don't worry about it. <laughs> and I left there purple, and it wasn't. An, one. And I, and I started to do shows on autism. I don't know mm -hmm. why I did a whole series. If you go back to some of my other shows, I did a whole campaign 
on autism because the rate of autism went from like one in 25 to one in 500, you know, one in 500 to one in 25 now, like what? And that's when I heard spectrum. And then when Elon Musk was like the spectrum and, and I said, I wrote an email back to Dr. Ray says he had retired. And I put a little joking like thing to him. But you see, what does that even mean? See, on, in the eyes of God, what does that even, it means nothing. You know what it means? It means that I have a unique ability to build a network on all positive talk with technology, even though I may not be able to read and write as well as other people. I, I am the no, type that's of true. I know. But you see, this is the cool thing about God. Give me a little bit of that spectrum thing and allow me many years later to write an award-winning dissertation. I don't even understand what I studied, but I have the concept. And then move on to be in service of other people. Yeah. It's um people don't judge things right. They think things are terrible when they're building tools, you know, there's you got it that the, 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 you need to take that people. quote and post that what you just said right there on social media. People that, look at things wrong. They think people don't wrong. look at things tools. right. Yeah. They're just building tools. But here's, you know, because I was raised by a mother who was stumbling through my poor mom. She lost her husband in Vietnam when she was 17 years old. Then her dad died. Then her mom died. So by the time she was 24 years old, she didn't have anybody in the world and she was brokenhearted and she had yeah. a little boy to raise. Yeah. And so th this little brokenhearted girl just kept stumbling, trying to make good decisions and, and, and wanting to do what's right and struggling and falling and getting back up. And because I, but she said to me, okay, guys, listen to me. You don't have to make all your own, own mistakes. Watch me <laughs> learn from my mistakes. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, no, that's a good, that's good, mom. I'll do that. Um, my stepmother, my stepmother was a terrible stepmother. She always said bad things about my mother. Mm. Um, and she did everything wrong. And because my stepmother did everything wrong, I have nine stepchildren. I don't know if you know that. I have seven from my first marriage and two from my second marriage. I have good relationships with all my yeah. stepkids. Because yeah. I learned you got to love their moms. If I'm telling you, my stepmom, I had two moms, two women in my life that loved me. And my stepmom was, she said, I will, I can never love you like I love my birth children. That's cruel. No, she didn't finish. Oh, she said, because there's something that happens to your body. But I love you more in so many ways okay so she was your mom she, she was a my stepmom but she right. i'm telling you i am alive today because this was discipline holy crap oh my god she taught me perseverance i was this crazy little kid growing up in the bronx bumped around from relatives while my mom was dying put in catholic boarding school and this woman comes in so young same age as almost I'm a, my I'm sister well, well you're talking, I, you're talking. well the you're thing talking. i wanted just to say to you is you and i are perfect living examples of what possibities are when we have faith well, that's true 
Yeah. All right, Amy, I'm going to let you go. Rock on, sister. 